Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. Let's look to the Word of God. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that it may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Verses 9 through 12 will be our text today. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower fails, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. We're going to stop right there. We've talked about trials helping to develop us in our Christian walk. Trials are very helpful in affirming our faith. And as we have seen that God sends trials sometimes to humble us, sometimes to draw us away from the world, or to concentrate on eternal things, trials really reveal in us who we love. Trials teach us to value God's favor rather than the blessings of this world, the prosperity of this world, we ought to be looking at the blessings of God, the favor of God. He sends sometimes trials to help us that we might help others. He sends trials to develop us that we'll be more useful, that we'll have a greater usefulness. And sometimes He sends trials to chasten us, to bring us to maturity, to knock some of the areas that we need to be molded to Him. It is to test the genuineness of our faith. So we've talked about all of that, but I want to remind you, because this whole passage deals with how do you count it joy when you fall into various trials? We've talked about the joyous attitude and understanding mind, uh, having a submissive will. We've talked about uh, so many of those different, maybe I've belabored that a little bit. We see that it teaches us 
to value God's blessing. We talked about last week having a believing heart, not wavering, so that when we fall into a trial and we need wisdom, God is right there. We talked about the double-souled man, the two, uh, the double-minded man that double-faced, Mr. Facing both ways, and vacillating how unstable he is, how unruly he is. But today in verse 9, we're talking about a humble spirit. Let the brother of low degree rejoice, some says. My new King James Version says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. So the idea is that of a command. The Lord is commanding us, let the brother of low degree. Let the one who is, or the lowly brother, glory. Again, it's like we saw with the submissive mind. When we talked about, let him ask of God, that's a command. But let patience have its perfect work, that's a command. And all of those things, we're told that this is what we need to do. If we're going to count joy in trials, if we're going to bring ourselves to a place where we can recognize that trials are working in us and molding us and doing something and God is allowing those things, what about the poor person? There's many, many different problems that the poor have over the rich. And that's why James contrasts the two. The brother of low degree, the poor brother, the poor man. That's what he means. The one who is economically deprived. These are poor Christians. They're low on the economic scale. The guy who just doesn't have much. Remember to whom James was writing. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. These were Christians. They had been Jews that turned to Christ. But because of persecution, because of everything that was going on around, they were scattered and had to flee. And therefore, they were very poor. They didn't have much. They were victims of uh, racism. They were victims of bigotry. They were victims of dispossession. They had to flee and leave many of their possessions behind. They were deprived. Poverty among these dispersed Christians was very common. So many of them very poor. And as they had very little, the word here is translated as low degree is used in the Septuagint. That Old Testament translation from the Hebrew into the Greek, it's used, the word is topenos. And it says, let the poor people rejoice. That's the idea of it. How is it that you can rejoice when you're poor? What does that mean? Because the word is, is really rich. The word is very encouraging. Let the poor people boast. How is it that you can boast when you're poor? Well, here's the real legitimate pride. He has nothing in this world to rejoice about but in his relationship with Christ. He has nothing in this world, but he has something much more. He may not have anything that he possesses, but let him rejoice and let him exalt. That's the idea of the language here. Is it a privilege? What is that privilege? Well, he is exalted. He's exalted in what way? Spiritually, he's exalted. Might be the filth and the downtrodden of this world. That's who James was writing to, to the downtrodden, to those that might be considered to be nothing. And he can rejoice because of his standing before God is one of exaltation. So what James is saying here 
if you have nothing in this life, if you've been deprived so that you find yourself at the very lowest level, you have cause to rejoice because spiritually you're exalted. Now that's not the way we humanly look at things, is it? He may be hungry, but he has the bread of life. He may be thirsty, but he has the water of life. He may be poor, but he has eternal riches. He may be cast aside by men, but he has been received by God. He may have no home here, but he has a glorious home in the life to come. Here he says, you poor folks rejoice that you have received God's divine attention. And that your trials are making you mature. And that they've given you a place where spiritually, in the spiritual dimension, you can exalt and you can rejoice. Sometimes God takes away in order to make you spiritually mature, perfect, full grown. And when He makes you spiritually mature, that's a true exaltation. That's really where he's lifting you up. The person who is deprived that cannot accept being deprived, except in his trials because of the hope that God is exalting him in the spiritual dimension. That God's raising him up and ultimately bringing him to a future glory. Ultimately lifting him up to when he receives all the inheritance that's promised to the saints of God through the love of God. What great opportunity. It's a sad position that our churches find themselves in today. Unfortunately, because of so much racism and bigotry. So many of our churches are empty because we didn't want to just recognize that homeless, lowly person. It's a sad position. I'm thankful this church, because we've had so many different lowly people come in. And he treated them exactly the same as anyone else. That's the way we have to do. We have to recognize we cannot look at their clothes. We cannot look at their outward appearance. We have to recognize that this is a person that God loves and cared for and that Christ died on the cross. We have to have, recognize that. And that's what James is saying because these people were scattered abroad. They had so little, if not anything. They had left their homes but ultimately, God was lifting them up and had prepared a great house for them, a great mansion. And someday, Peter says, that he will be received to an inheritance that will cause him to have great joy, that he could rejoice and have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Hi, let me interrupt very quickly to let you know and update you with some information. You can contact us at schoolofministryresources.org all runs together or contact me personally at paul at landmarkstockton.com we also have online services on facebook at landmark stockton that all runs together or if you're interested in our church history sessions you can look on youtube under landmark stockton two separate words in that place. We'd love to send you information and we're always so glad to hear from our listeners. So please feel free to contact us and we'll get right back to you. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. We can rejoice in any trial. 
We can rejoice anytime we are deprived because God has chosen us to an exalted position in His kingdom. That's what Paul said, the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared with the joy that shall be ours on that day. Romans 8 and 17. And following that, he talks about true riches are ours. So poverty is a short-lived trial. It doesn't last very long. It's in this life. And this life is just a, a vapor. It's just a breath. It's just here and it's gone. Poverty doesn't last long. And those of us who endure those kinds of trials, of which poverty might be one, but you can look ahead to a time of glorious exaltation. Don't look to draw your joy out of the worldly possessions. Don't look to draw your joy out of your circumstances and you won't be disappointed with anything. <laughs> because this world and these things are just for a moment and then they're gone. Draw your joy out of spiritual exaltation. And that's what James is saying. It's in your relationship to Christ. It's in the future glory. And then at verse 10, look what he says. Now this is the opposite. But the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. Out of God saving you and moving you toward Christ-likeness, someday putting you into his presence. But on the other hand, you have the rich who is made low. That's let him rejoice. The same verb. Let him exalt, let him boast that he has been made low. The rich brother here, we're talking about the rich Christian, the one who seems to have it all going his way. There are so many trials in life, in life that are related to poverty, but the rich man seems like he's got it all made. It's, everything's in place. He's got it all together. Let him rejoice, not in his riches, but in the fact that he is being made low in his humiliation. You see, when the rich person goes through a trial, he begins to realize that everything he possesses cannot help, cannot buy the real things of life. The wealthy Christian should rejoice that when he goes through trials, he has to face a bankruptcy of these worldly riches and depend on the gifts and the grace of God just as the poor man. There's no special place just because you've got something here on this earth. And also the humble person rejoices in the same provision as the wealthy person rejoices that God provides in the very same way. So he's saying there's no difference, nothing. He rejoices in what God provides. The person who realizes or who has everything and realizes that it cannot buy what he really needs, he also rejoices in what God has provided. So the poor Christian can also, kind of as a footnote, rejoice in that he is associated with the rich ones and the rich Christian can rejoice in the self-denying privilege of being identified with the poor believers. You see that? Why? Because we are all humbled at the same level. In the trial, we all have to lean on God. It does not matter what you have or what you don't have. That's the point. Money doesn't buy people out of their problems. Their real trials might solve your economic problems, but you'll get a whole rash of other problems that money cannot solve. I remember a very wealthy lawyer whose son committed suicide. And I 
was able to sit there and talk with him and he had everything that you might think of you would want in this world. All of the cars and that big house and all of that. And his son killed himself because he did not have that which was really necessary to his life. He had all of the economic blessings, I guess you would say, but he missed the true meaning of life. And this wealthy lawyer was brought in so low. He could afford a great funeral. But what's a funeral? You're dead. You're gone. What use is it? So the point is here, whether poor or rich, trials are going to come into your life to humble us. And true humility, whether it possesses much of this world's good or very little, true humility says my resources are in God. My hope is in God. So faith in Christ lifts the lowly brother beyond his trials to a great height and a great position in the kingdom of Christ. Where is God's child? He's rich. <laughs> he has great many blessings. And there he may receive anything. In fact, because he's not double-minded, and double-mindedness makes you unstable in every way. But because he is not double-minded, he can rejoice and boast and have faith in Christ. And it does equally, he is blessed in the thing, the same as the rich brother. Fills him then with the spirit of Christ, the spirit of lowliness, the spirit of true Christian humility. And as the poor brother forgets, all about his earthly poverty, so the rich brother forgets all of his earthly riches, and the two are made equal in Christ. So now there's no more rich or poor, Jew or Gentile. There's an equality that's driven home through trials. When you lose a son, you lose a daughter, you lose a wife, you lose a husband, it doesn't matter how much money you have. None of it's going to buy your way out of the trial. None of it is going to buy your way out of the hurt and the pain. There's the equalizer. Trials bring us to the same level of dependency on God. So it humbles us. We're on the same level as one another. We do not preoccupy ourselves with earthly things in the Lord's churches. We do not exalt those who have much over those who have little. Everyone has the same position and the same place because our place is in Christ. All of our earthly possessions are inadequate to buy us what we need spiritually. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You cannot buy your way into happiness. That's only in Christ. So James seems to have kind of a particular concern that he really hits rich people throughout this message and throughout this book. He does it in chapter 1. He keeps doing it all the way through as we're going to see. But back in verse 10, the rich should be happy that he's made low because he's made low and he realizes that the true riches are otherly world. They belong to the other world. And he uses the illustration of the grass. He says, as the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower fails and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. You see what's happening there? He is saying it's just all of this world is just going to pass away. The rich people in general, he's not speaking of 
as a rich Christian, he's talking about the rich man in general. He's going to pass away like the flower and the grass. You know, in Israel, there's three very common flowers. The cyclamen, the lily, and the amenome. I'm not saying that correctly. But they flourish up in February, and they bloom, and they blossom. And then there is something called the shirako. That hot wind that comes through, and by May they're all gone. It's dead. It's desert again. We're familiar with that here in California, where you see the poppies come up in late winter, early spring, and you see how beautiful all the hills are and all of the wildflowers, and then you drive back by there maybe in a week or two weeks, and it's back to golden brown. <laughs> it's died. It's dead grass. That's what we're seeing here. There's a true spirit of humility that says, I don't put my trust in things that pass away so quickly. They burn up so readily. And that poet in James goes on, as he says in verse 11, The sun no sooner is risen with a burning heat, it withers the grass, it withers the flower. They all die in the same fashion, and so does the rich man. He's made to pass away. So here the form of the Greek language is, is this beautiful, ionic expression that he's drawing out from Isaiah chapter 40. And you may be familiar with that when chapter 40 of Isaiah 6 through 8, and he is talking about the burning sun and how the flesh is as grass and how you grow up and then the sun comes and that blasting wind and that's the fate of the future of the rich man. The blasting heat, the wind, the fury of death, the judgment of God will burn everything to a, sin, a cinder. It's all gone. So the rich man should rejoice in his trouble because in his trouble it is that which draws him away from the dependency on his own resources. See, that's what James is saying. You, you cannot trust in the resources of this world. All of those resources are going to pass away. All that you can do is rejoice. And when they are burned up, when they're passed away, then you're just like the poor man. You're back on an equal footing. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church. 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.